0: hey welcome back to the show it's Matt Browning and man this this episode is one I've been looking forward to for months and get excited so if you're on the treadmill if you're in the car if you're in bed falling asleep waking up whatever you're doing uh, wake your butt up this is the time to get excited we <laughs> got a really really cool serial entrepreneur with me today his name is Steven Sashen uh, he's never had a job really interesting Former professional stand-up comic. We'll see what the chops are for that. An award-winning writer. Yeah. See, he's already already on it.
1: I can't. Um, so- I can't not respond to that. Come on, man. You're pretty You're you're building this up like I'm the coming. You know, I'm the I'm the Messiah. I mean, jeez. Well, keep-
0: look, I mean, you know, let, let's let's be clear. I mean, you know, you're you wrote it. I'm going to read it. But let's see how it goes.
1: <laughs> Just because I wrote it doesn't mean you have to say it.
0: All right. How about this? One of the fastest men over fifty-five in the country. Okay, that's true. And maybe the fastest over-55 Jew in the world. Let's see if that's true. His hair, his, his, his silver curly locks do not hold him back. He <laughs> wife, Lena Phoenix, co-founded a footwear company. And this is where it gets really, really cool. Uh, Zero Shoes, X-E-R-O, and helping to create a movement of movement. It's a barefoot running or barefoot shoe company. We're going to talk all about how, how that came to be and, and why in the world you would start off competing with companies that are huge, that are already in existence, but they're doing quite well with it. They've helped hundreds of thousands of people live life feet first and happy healthy, strong feet, addictively comfortable footwear. Uh, Steven and Lena also appeared on shark tank. I want to hear about your story with that. And they are, I mean, I know other people have done this before, but it's first one I've ever seen. I watched your episode on the plane on the way home from a conference where I met you, which is so funny. And I didn't know what happened, but I watched them turn down a $400,000 offer from Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful on shark tank. So, uh, Stephen, welcome to the show. How are you?
1: I am good. Uh, that was I said that in that way, which really means I'm exhausted and need a nap because it's a Monday morning when we're doing this, and you know Mondays are nap mornings.
0: It's a Monday morning, but here we are waking up. I got uh, I got a little it. I got bulletproof coffee, so I don't know how in my, in my Captain America mug. Let's <laughs> rock and roll. So, first question I got for you, honestly, is um, I'm always so curious when I meet like this quote serial entrepreneur quote did you, did you like start off? Were you always an entrepreneur? Were you that kind of yeah. like six year old with a lemonade stand? Or was yeah. this something that kind of came out of? He says yes.
1: Yeah. No, I, 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 the only, the only jobs I've ever had, um, were things where they let me do whatever the hell I wanted. So I, I yeah, I started out in lemonade stand, the back of comic books, you know, they had advertised things like selling metal social security cards. i like, eh, that's not for me or whatever they were. Um, uh, polishing my dad's shoes.
0: What was the very, do you remember the very first venture that you, that you turned a uh, profit from?
1: Uh, polishing my dad's shoes my dad was a bit of a shoe whore and he was the Imelda Marcos of, of dudes and so uh, 25 cents for a pair of shoes 50 cents for a pair of boots and he did not realize once he gave me that those parameters that his shoes were constantly in need of polishing uh, that and of course I figured out how to crack his piggy bank so which which like 40 years later he told me he knew I was doing the entire time which I thought was brilliant
0: that is brilliant so uh so you made your own demand for it really
1: yeah, yeah. I was not going to wait for the audience to find me or the customers to find me. I was going to go find them. That's fat. You know, I've sitting, shared this briefly. Sitting in before. a closet. <laughs> How hard my, is that?
0: My first entrepreneurial uh, venture, I was probably, I was like seven or eight years old maybe. I was selling skateboard wheels. Remember the old, like the oh, 80s, yeah. uh, Vision skateboards yeah, with, the, yeah, yeah. You know, with the tails and, and, and the bumpers and everything. They had these big fat wheels. And I don't know where I got them, but I got a big bucket of them. So I stood in the corner and we sold like four wheels for a dollar. I sold it to about two friends. It was a big failure, but it was interesting just to you know, have that thought, right? It's like, there's something weird about those kids that are wired that way. And uh,
1: yeah, did you undeniable. feel
0: different growing up? Did you like, I don't no. know, like look around at school and go, ah, I see things no. they don't see? Or no, no no no, no. The,
1: no, 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 the exact opposite. In fact, at my 30-year high school reunion, I realized that I was totally wrong. I thought that I was you know sort of the normal person. And at my 30th, uh, through a series of, of conversations, I discovered that I was the crazy one. And I did not know that. I mean, I, like, I walked up to this one woman and I said, Hey, you know, I haven't thought of you in really 30 years, but if someone had asked me about you in my mind, you were five, nine. And she goes, I'm five feet tall. I'm like, I know. Isn't that wild? And she looks at me like, No, that means you're crazy. And I had about 10 of those encounters. Um, and, you know, I'd walk up to people and say, Isn't it weird? I have no idea who you are, even though I know that we spent like thousands of hours together, just I was fascinated by how you know minds and memory work. Uh, but apparently, that was not normal, and I always thought that I was um, normal. And apparently, that's not the case.
0: So, when when you were so back to school for a sec, just because I love this the growing up piece. When you were in in school, I know you're a high school sprinter, and that's a lot of what kind of prompted what you're doing today. Did, was that like the main sport you did or did you do no, no, no. a lot of other things?
1: Uh, I was an All-American gymnast. That was actually my main thing because my, oh, let's see. So when I was in high school, uh, I was five foot Five, and then everyone suddenly got taller and I did not. And so the sprinting coach, who was the science teacher, uh, really didn't know how to coach sprinting. So I moved to long jump and pole vault. And then I was uh, was a gymnast. My gymnastics coach was I think nine time national and five time world tumbling champion. He was a gym teacher in our junior high school and just one of the best gymnasts and also perhaps one of the best teachers of any sort I've ever met. And so that was really my prime thing and track was secondary and. I know I got a, another letter for some other sport. I can't even, Oh no, it must've been indoor track and outdoor track. They did those separately. So those are my, my two things.
0: So I did no sports in high school. Not one. And did you did you get like pushed into it? Was it something that no, you, no, no, you no, no, no. looked around and went, ooh, that looks fun. Like I want to do that. or you yeah, made? Yeah,
1: yeah. Here's how it happened. So the first day of junior high, we're in the orientation for phys ed, and there's three teachers. Uh, Mr. Steele. Uh, well, I don't remember the other guy's name. He's some old dude. And then this guy Jack Leonard. And Jack Leonard is the gymnastics coach. And while Mr. Steele and the other dude were were chatting and droning on about, you know, how we were going to have to wear the shorts that they assigned us and do what they said and was very militaristic jack just you know very casually stands up out of his chair walks behind these two guys does a standing backflip doesn't say a word and sits back in his chair and my immediate thought was i want to do that i pick him yeah that's the guy well <laughs> it's, guy. I, it's it's a and i pick him and i want to do that and that was that was where it all began i mean it started yeah. earlier i was a diver before that but that was kind of cash and i gave up once the competition got a little too too heavy um, i was a little too young for the the, the level of competition I was engaged in psychologically. There's, and, and I mean, real competition, too young psychologically. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and then by the time I was, you know, 13 or so, I was, I was ready.
0: What a pitch, right? Like, isn't that so that quiet? Yeah. You know, when, when you see that, do you, do you see, just curious, do you see like, um, like metaphors kind of everywhere you look, do you see something like that? I can go, Ooh, that's like, that's a great, brilliant way to say, like, when you're selling your shoes, You go, you know what, just walk in it
1: yeah yeah just yeah, yeah.
0: backflip you know you don't need to yeah, try to just sell it. stuff
1: no you just you just gotta you, you can't sell it all you can do is paint the picture and hope that you painted the right picture for the right person and so that and and that's a simple thing um and you really said it literally I had a meeting with a major retailer yesterday and I said here's how you sell the shoes you say yeah they're about letting your feet do what's natural they're enough room for your toes to spread they're super comfortable they're really lightweight you can do almost anything in them do you want to try a pair on that's it and then pitch
0: just try a pair on Try a pair
1: on yeah i mean selling these things in retail is so effortless like put them on see what you think and um and the rest will take care of itself and that's what we see over and over and over
0: now when what were you doing before so you know what like nothing nothing so i I, want to i want to hear the story of how it came about but i realize you you would come back uh into sprinting after 30 year hiatus and you said okay i'm gonna try running again you're getting injured. It's not working. Yeah. So it says try barefoot. Now, I, I've heard, and I've done a lot of barefoot. Oh, good. Um, I've heard you know backwards and forwards about it no no no
1: no 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 no. there is no there is no backwards Uh, honestly this is (laughs) one of these things where people say hey there's a debate about it there is no debate there is research that shows that natural movement is good and there's people who argue against reality because they have some vested interest and they confuse things they conflate things they say things they I know people who say they're barefoot runners who've never had their bare feet on the ground and there's this whole idea about minimalist footwear which is what we say we are so there's a woman named Irene Davis. She's a doctor at Harvard who's done most of the research on this. And she breaks the minimalist footwear down into what she calls minimalist and partial minimalist. I call it minimalist and fake minimalist. And the reason is (laughs) politically correct. And what she calls partial minimalist are the most popular minimalist shoes. Um, and they have too much padding, too much support, too small around your toes. They don't let your foot move naturally enough. And her research and research from others demonstrably and unequivocally shows that they're bad for you. And so the big shoe companies came in and tried to capitalize on this whole barefoot movement that started in 2009, 2010.
0: Well, and and let, let's get to the shoe part in a minute. First, I want to okay. just kind of hear the story about the barefoot part. So I've been part of a part of a gym for, for the last few years in Orange County before we moved um, that are amazing, very very much into that most of the people work out we do like circuit training all barefoot and sometimes just straight barefoot like literally because there's mats down right yeah. So I mean, I worked out mostly just with no shoes, no socks, no nothing.
1: Um, oh, you mean like human beings did for thousands of years with no problem?
0: It's bizarre. We play, you know, stick ball <laughs> with the spear and the in the coconut. I guess you know, uh, <laughs> run around the village. So I grew to love that. And yeah. the only thing I understood that was a problem for me, and I'm sure you can speak to that right away, was probably my own training. Right. So if I tried to run fast, yeah. then it would it would hurt because I learned to run the wrong way.
1: Hurt where? Hurt how?
0: Oh, hurt okay. how, uh, So, like in my heels.
1: Oh, perfect. Okay. Yeah. Well, like so. so okay. I, know
0: that I learned how to run with shoes, so yeah. when I tried to run fast barefoot, I had to kind of relearn how to put my foot down a little bit. Does that make yes.
1: Any sense? Yes, it totally does. Well, you so, the guy um, tell me all about yeah. it. So, the, the short version is that when we are little kids, I mean, so look, this whole modern footwear keep keep keep, in, keep it in mind this way. When I said, "Oh, like we've been doing for thousands of years," I'm serious. The first footwear that we've discovered is about 10,000 years old. For the 9,950 years after that, people wore basically nothing or something really thin that let your feet move naturally. Or, you know, if you were in a really cold climate, they had some hemp or jute or something that was thick enough to provide a little bit of insulation, but fundamentally let your feet move naturally and feel the ground a quarter of the bones and joints of your whole body are in your feet and ankles. And you have more nerve endings in your soles than anything other than your fingertips and your lips. I mean, that's, not an accident, you know.
0: Twenty five percent of all our body's joints are in our feet.
1: Bones and joints. Yeah, that's yeah,
0: Incredible. Yeah.
1: yeah, so they're designed they're to be super better. flexible. They're designed to move and bend and flex, and that's all. A lot of them are micro movements for balance and agility and sensing where you are and how you're supposed to move effectively. Once you put people in something that eliminates that feedback, you're then changing the way you can move because if you don't give your brain the information that it needs, it doesn't know how to move your body back. So if you taped your first two fingers together. You could literally watch in your brain how your brain starts to think, quote unquote, that your first two fingers are one finger. And it'll feel like one finger and you can't move them independently even if you take the tape off after a while. Because you, because your brain basically says things like, oh, if you're not going to use that, well, I'm not going to waste time trying to f- pretend that you are. So I'll just shut that crap down. So same thing with your feet. So back in the early 70s. People started making shoes that were too narrow for your toes, that didn't let you feel the ground, that elevated your heel, that weren't flexible enough to let your feet move, that had flared out soles, that changed the biomechanics of how you moved. And the the elevated heel was sort of the big thing because that's what encourages people almost automatically to land on their heel. Because if you're barefoot, the way you land, your heels only maybe you a know, quarter to a half an inch off the ground often. Um, and if you put a half inch heel underneath that, then you can't avoid your heel and your heel ends up in front of your body. And, so, and that's a, a bad position biomechanically. And so when you're a child, if that's what you, you're wearing, that's the movement pattern that you learn to adopt.
0: So you're used to having your heel a little bit too high because it would already hit the ground. Correct. So I'm, I'm holding my foot in the wrong angle already, right? Well,
1: what happens, it's a little way the other way around. You're holding your foot in the right angle, but um, imagine, imagine if you're if you just have your foot is totally flat. OK, when it hits the ground, it's going to be totally flat. Um, now, your foot doesn't hit the ground vertically. It doesn't just drop onto the ground. It comes in, a, in kind of a semicircle from in front of you. But, it's about, but the only time it's going to land, and this is not the way it is. I'm just using this as an example. By the time your foot plants, though, it's going to be under you and flat. Now, imagine putting a half an inch riser under your heel and you still have that same form. Your heel is going to end up hitting the ground in front of your body earlier than it otherwise would. Okay, so that's the way they design shoes. And that's the movement pattern that it encourages people to use when they are impressionable children. And then that's the way you adopt it. Now, it doesn't happen for everybody. I was a natural sprinter and I always landed on my the ball of my foot. But most people are not natural sprinters. That's not their thing. So you have this incorrect movement pattern. You take off your shoes. You're still going to have it. Now, what you discovered is brilliant. It's the hey, it hurt. Good, because that 's the thing that tells your brain to wake up and and if you played with it more cautiously, like you know you didn 't do too much, then you would eventually figure out a better, more efficient, natural movement pattern because doing it wrong hurts and doing it right doesn't. And it, ta- it just takes different people a different amount of time to do that because of just the way brains work, the amount of neuroplasticity and just personal preference or, or personal um, idiosyncratic patterns in your, the way your neurology works. I think there's a lesson
0: in that too, especially like when, when you look at life and how we approach things so often, right? Like you, you, you try something new and it hurts or it's uncomfortable yeah. or something's off, right? So we make that mean, oh, well, this might, this might not be good. This is whatever, Ooh.
1: Oh, so dude, look sad. at my face, look at my face, look at my face. Look looking at your face. face. Yeah. So, you're ready. Baby, you, you nailed it, you nailed it. Here, here's the thing that happens with the whole barefoot minimalist thing. People will try it and they will find themselves, quote, or try anything new, just like you said, and people, it, it, let's get past the pain part. People will find it frustrating and they go, hey, this isn't right because this is a pain in the ass. But frustration is actually the wrong interpretation of what's going on. What's going on is you're trying to lay down new neural pathways And laying down new neural pathways for movement is the most difficult thing that you can do because there's so much involved in that. And so frustration is just the experience of the effort that it takes to break out of a groove and create a new groove. And if you just give it time, that changes. When I got back into sprinting, I had a coach who was teaching me how to do the various drills you do for warming up. And he taught me, um, well, basically wrong. He, he taught me the way that most people do it, where they just look like marching drills and mobility drills, but they had no relationship to sprinting. And then I met an actual sprinting coach, and he said, oh, no, 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 you got it totally upside down. The way you do these is a very different thing. Well, I'd already spent two years learning how to do it the wrong way. It took me two months to learn to do it the right way. And it was incredibly frustrating. But the part that I found so interesting was I didn't get better by practicing. I got better by resting in between practice sessions. So when you lay down those new neural pathways, is in the rest periods between short bouts of trying something new. And if you don't have the framework to realize that's the way brains work, you'll give up probably just at the point where you're actually starting to get it.
0: I couldn't agree more. And, and you see that as a pattern constantly. Always,
1: talk, in everything.
0: Let, let's talk a little bit about the business side of things if we could. Um, you, I think it's really interesting too. You started this again. You, you started it as something that you wanted to fix something. Right. You're like, hey, this sucks. I want to. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh,
1: you're so kind. No, no, no. It was way easier than that. It was a complete accident. <clears throat> and it had and, and it wouldn't have happened if I weren't married to my wife. Um, so what happened was, <clears throat> pardon me, once I got into this whole natural movement thing, because when I when I tried it, it was so fascinating um that I, I, it, it it just sort of changed my life. I was getting injured all the time. Someone said try running barefoot. I did that. Um now again, I'm a sprinter, okay. So I run hundred meters. I run in a very straight line, very fast. That's all I do. My friends joke that I don't even know what the other side of a track looks like, or that I have a phobia of the other side of a track. And I go, "Well, that's not possible. How can you be afraid of something that doesn't exist?" So <laughs> I've never used the other side of the track. It has no interest in me. Um, and uh, and so, but my first barefoot run, I was so enthralled. We were running on grass and on gravel and on trails and on paths and on streets and on everything. It was so fascinating. I experimented with changing my gait and making my legs move faster without running faster, making them go slower without running faster. I mean, just like everything I could think of, I kept trying. And at the end, there was someone who had a a GPS watch on. I said, "How, how far did we just go? She goes, I was a little over four miles. I went, I'm sorry, what? So it was just completely a shock. I was just entranced by it i'd never run more than a mile and i did not like it when i had done that before but barefoot it was just so interesting so i wanted that experience oh and then the bigger issue to abbreviate the story dramatically is uh the form that i adopted from being barefoot was natural form and it'll and it made me discover how and why i was getting injured and it and it was really easy to stop because the wrong thing that caused my injuries hurt the right thing didn't Injuries went away. I became faster. That's when I became a master's All-American. I mean, I wanted that barefoot experience as much as I could have it. So I started making sandals based on this 10,000-year-old design idea. And the local runners kept asking for them. It was one of those, you know, you tell two friends and they tell two friends. And so you just so started on.
0: making sandals for you and for Lena. And
1: Me and Lena and, you know, a couple of, about a, a couple dozen. Yeah, one or two other people. And then they said, ooh, I want more. So I took the few dollars that I made from that and bought more material and did it again and took the well, few see, dollars the, I made from that. Yeah.
0: And see, this is what I mean. Is like, you know, some people say, "Okay, I, I'm going to go to Harvard. I'm going to make a business plan. I'm going to design this thing. I'm going to figure out what business I want to do." You this just started a, making shoes that worked.
1: Yeah, but this wasn't even a business. This was literally what we we're I mean. sitting on. Yeah, we we're sitting on a corner at the University of Colorado, cutting out sheets of rubber and grabbing laces from Home Depot and putting it, turning them into shoes that people ran around in. It was insane. But people but loved
0: it. your friends. Loved them. They kept wanting. Them. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it was it was literally like a shampoo thing. You tell two friends, and they tell two friends.
0: tell, tell me about the first. Uh, the first product rendition I, I know you were doing more of like a DIY sort of a we, kit
1: right we still have it it's still, yeah yeah it's yeah. still, still on that. our website it's our classic kit well let me get to the part that you asked which is the way it actually happened was um, so one day this guy says I got a book that's coming out on barefoot running and if you treated this goofy little hobby like a business and had a website I would put you in the book so I rush home and I say to Elena hey we got a great new business idea and she says hey that is a horrible idea do not do it. Waste of time. Won't make any money. Distraction, just like your normal ADD shit that you do. And, um, and, you know, and I said, okay, you're, you're right. Nobody and wants to so
0: cut out pieces of rubber for shoes. Come yeah, on. it's
1: ridiculous. And cut so she went to bed around nine, and by 10, I had a website up. So, um, <laughs> so uh, the next morning, she kind of growled at me, and I said, look, look, look. Uh, it, 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 the people who are ranking for the keywords I care about, they're there by accident. I've been an internet marketing guy since 1992. I said, within three months, I'm going to own this thing. And it it didn't happen like that at all. It only took me two months. So, um, so all we were selling was a do it yourself kit. We were taking big sheets of rubber, cutting them into small sheets of rubber, big things of, of cord that we bought at home Depot. We, we spent every weekend driving around to every home Depot in the front range of Colorado looking for the cord that we wanted because we couldn't, you know, they couldn't tell us. Yeah. Yeah. We buy the whole thing out. And, um, uh, and then instructions on how to make this sandal based on a 10,000 year old idea. That was our business for three and a half years.
0: I love the story too. I think that's something that, that I don't want anyone to overlook that it wasn't just, Hey, it's simple. Hey, it's cheaper than a pair of shoes probably. Right. Cause it is, yeah. Right. But it's, it's the story of you keep on throwing it in where it's like, Hey, it's just a sheet of rubber. You can cut out to the perfect size for your foot. Oh, it's got the cord, but it's based on the 10,000 year old idea. So there's that part of our brain that says, Ooh, if that's like ancient wisdom, you know, I want that. If they've been doing it forever, that makes perfect sense.
1: Here we had,
0: the the critical part, I would think.
1: <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of people um, saying, "Hey, they're Jesus shoes," and I said, "I can't say that."
0: <laughs> <clears throat> we we don't know. Jesus may have sometimes been barefoot as well.
1: I, I would imagine so. And 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 he didn't have to sell them to his friends. He just multiplied the shoes
0: as no, I, I say often, man, he was one of the, the best salesmen in the world. I'm a Christian. Free, I, I love him.
1: Um, free loaf of bread with every pair of shoes.
0: Yeah, well, and people are still buying his program today. You know, it's been two thousand
1: years. <laughs> like that's, that's
0: longevity, that's, bro.
1: That sales letter is amazing. So, did you did
0: you think that it was going to stay a DIY thing? Was that the end game, really? or was that a this is the first step and let's see what's next? Did you did you get a passion a vision for? moving it forward or were you just in the moment with it
1: both uh so we started doing the diy thing and people would say hey i can't do it myself and so we started making custom made versions of the same product people would send us tracings of their feet and we would just make a pair for them and we had mapped out a way of doing that um or trying to find a way to do that in an automated fashion (laughs) they'd stand on a Uh, They'd stand on a scanning device. We would get a 3D scan of their foot. We would automatically cut things out to the right size. We'd lace them up. We'd send them out the next day. That was the plan until we discovered that each one of those kiosks was going to cost like $10,000. And uh, it, it became impractical. And around that same time is when the big shoe companies came in, basically trying to destroy this market because they knew that it would do one of the whole idea of natural movement would do one of two things. It would make people realize that they had been lying to us for 50 years and selling us things that didn't work, or it would just put them out of business entirely. If people discovered they could make their own shoes or just run barefoot. This so feels a went, lot
0: like uh, like electric cars in, in a way. Totally.
1: Right? You're, you're disrupting totally an industry. Now,
0: completely. Tell me the time frame real quick too is, um, do, does, is vibram already out with their like five yeah. finger shoes Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what's yes. the kind of timeline of barefoot uh shoe industry and where do you fit into it
1: yeah so the, the Vibrams came out in about 2006 if i'm remembering correctly plus or minus and that shoe was originally designed to be a boating shoe there was no idea that it was a running thing but then there were a couple of couple of people who who adopted it and used it for running and that became really popular when the book born to run came out now the book came out in either late 2008 or two, early 2009, um, it, it wasn't doing that well, but by the end of 2009, it started getting more traction. That's when I, I found it. A friend of mine gave me a copy, and that started bringing up the interest in natural movement and barefoot running uh, and running in sandals, which is what the Tarumara Indians in Mexico do. Theirs are made out of um, scraps of tire with leather laces, whatever they could, they could find, really, which is, which is, again, what people have been doing for a long time. We started in, uh, the end of November of 2009 and by in that early phase from 2009 through the end of 2010 is when the shoe companies were saying, don't, don't try and run, do this barefoot thing. You're going to step on hypodermic needles and get Ebola and your kids won't get into a good college and you know, you're going to get migraines and you won't be able to eat gluten or whatever the hell it was. So, uh, um, so in that era, we were still just in the whole, the whole DIY thing and trying to find ways of exploiting that. But we just kept hearing from customers. It's like it started out with here's a kit and hey, I can't make the kit. So then we did custom made. And then it's like hey, I don't even want to make my own. So then we made our first ready to wear version of that same sandal. Hey, I need a little bit of extra cushioning because I'm on the trail. So we did a, a, a version we call the cloud with a little bit of extra cushioning. Hey, that's cool, but I don't like that thong between my toes, even though that was just a perceptual thing because it's not like a flip flop where you have to grip with your toes and jam your foot into the thong. These things just hold around your foot and you don't you barely because it goes from
0: the and if we're listening to this on audio it goes from between the toe but also it goes around the ankle goes
1: all the the way around your ankle yeah so it's holding on your foot unlike a flip-flop but people would say hey i don't want that so we made a sport sandal which is basically webbing that goes across your foot hey that's great but i need something that's a more trail friendly version of that so we made the z trail hey i love your sandals but i need shoes at work so we started making shoes it's really just evolved from mostly from people telling us what they want and then you know us being being aware of things that we know we can do that they haven't necessarily asked for that will come in handy.
0: So put that lesson, that business lesson on a bumper sticker.
1: Uh, Listen. (laughs) Listen. Listen. I think, I think, uh, listen <laughs> is exactly the way I said it. It really, it, it's, it, and, and you need to listen to not only what your customers are saying, what they're telling you they want. And sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes they say things that are just not physically possible. I like it when people, uh, for, for years, we, all of our products were vegan friendly. And then we made one leather shoe because we had a lot of people saying, Hey, I need a leather shoe for work. And so we made that. And the vegans of course lost their minds and uh, people would say well why don't you use these artificial leathers like you know the mushroom leather I go because they've only made 1 yard of it in the world uh, why don't you use the pineapple leather well because it says that you can't use it for footwear it explicitly says that why don't you use the this synthetic it's like well because that also not used for footwear why don't you you know use what why footwear? don't
0: you let the shoemaker make the shoes and the shoe wearer just wear them
1: well, you know actually that the last response when i said you know you can't do it there aren't materials that actually do what you want and do what the customer needs the last response from this one person was what makes you such an expert it's like, <laughs> <laughs> the fact Can we that there's so many shoes I've sold yeah exactly so um, but, you know i mean the, the but the and it, the point that i made and, and a few people did get it was I said, look, I understand you thought we were a vegan shoe company because all our shoes were vegan. We're really a natural movement company that would like to do vegan as often as we can for, because we, we want to make our products available to everyone. But there are some people who have other needs. For example, we get approached by military and police officers and they need a leather shoe. It's required. And so we can't give them a vegan leather shoe. And so, again, this is about listening to see what, what's possible and what fits in what, we're, what our mission is. Our mission is natural movement. We want to make natural movement the obvious healthy choice the way natural food is. And so that's our primary goal. And then we have a bunch of secondary goals about changing the world.
0: I think that that you know that's a principle in business too that I think is so important. We call it like the plumb line principle of knowing what your plumb line is, knowing exactly what you're made to do primary and there's only one primary so like yeah. if you're healthy a uh, a healthy eating uh, restaurant you might want to have a lot of vegan options or or organic options or gluten free but you're not a gluten free restaurant so Like that's, you 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 have to know exactly what you're made to do and you're made for natural movement.
1: You know, what's interesting about what you just said, uh, or one of the things that's interesting is that lately, I think that's gotten confused in certain ways where people have companies where they say that they're, they're, their company is because they have another mission. So their company is that they want um, you know, to get plastic out of the ocean, so they're making shoes with recycled plastic out of the ocean. Or they're trying to stop world hunger, so they're donating all of their money to stop world hunger. And Tom's shoes or whatever. Tom's, Tom's was really the most famous first one of those. There have been others. but So the whole, <clears throat> the whole socially driven mission company, it's interesting to me because they're saying that the company is about the mission and the product is secondary. And the people who buy those products do let the product be secondary. The products are often not good. <clears throat> Excuse me. They don't last or the, you know, there are various problems and people just dismiss that and go, yeah, don't worry, but I'm, I'm trying to save the world. And I, I think, I mean, I, For us, our mission is our mission. I mean, we're trying to change the world one foot at a time by letting people experience the fun and benefits, and there are real benefits of natural movement. And I think this whole sort of socially driven thing is sort of a distraction. And the fact that the products rarely are as good as they need to be if they were just being sold on their own is problematic. Uh, there's something about that that seems a little out of whack to me because you can do both. I mean, we have a big philanthropic arm for what we're doing, but our mission is the mission.
0: Well, and what's interesting too with, uh, with with yours in particular and probably several other business models, you have a, a product that if your mission is basically fixing uh, say, say it again. I don't want to butcher
1: change, it. Changing the world one foot at a time.
0: Change the world one foot at a time, right? Which yeah. is essentially, hey, let's fix people's health, their posture, everything. And if everyone in the world wore these shoes, everybody would feel better. So your mission is about helping people to yeah. better Directly. Welfare. Right, directly, directly not right, indirectly, but it overlaps exactly with the only way you can achieve that is by having the best possible superior product that's right. exactly made for what it's supposed to do. Right. Whereas these other companies, they say, well, I want to fix this over here. So I'm going to create this product over there.
1: Right. And
0: fairly connect.
1: And Tom's is a really interesting story because the, because the buy one, give one thing, the shoe that they give to people in the third world is not a pair of Tom's shoes. It's a little, it's like a plastic shoe. Oh,
0: I feel like, and, I feel like I've never heard that.
1: Yeah. Most people haven't. And even the ones who have go, yeah, don't worry about it. He's still changing the world.
0: It's still a shoe. It's still a piece yeah, of tire. It's a shoe. All
1: right. <laughs> so now, let's, now before- from our perspective, you know, uh, from our perspective, it's the worst of all possible situations because they're giving a bad shoe that still, you know, does not promote health to people. And so if you're gonna give it away, I mean, give, it, give people something that's gonna be good for them. So that's one of the things we do. We support a group called One World Running and a group called Souls for Souls, and we give them you know, good footwear to put on people's feet. And they need footwear. I mean, these are people who can't get a job or can't get to school if they don't have footwear. And so we're really proud to do that. And we support the Tarumata Children's Hospital Fund. They were our inspiration and they're suffering badly uh, from drought and, and health problems, um, uh, lack of food, lack of education, lack of medical care, drug cartels really coming in and adding a lot of pressure. So we're, we're very happy to support them to the extent that we can. Um, I'll tell you, here's a weird thing about supporting about businesses with, with philanthropic missions. People, I hate saying this, people don't support the Tarumara the way they would uh, almost any other group in some other part of the world because Americans go, wait, you're supporting Mexicans? Oh, wow. And- yeah. And, and they don't get that there are people and look, there's people in America who need support, but if you're trying to you know, do the socially responsible business thing, it's harder to get people to support Americans and Mexicans, especially Mexicans than it is uh, unnamed Africans. And it's just one of these weird psychological things, the further out they are, the less you understand about them, the more you can idealize it. And it's a real problem because there are people who you can think about and see who are practically in your backyard, sometimes literally in your backyard who need your help.
0: Well, that's, that's interesting too. You know, like how many times do we we walk right past someone, you know, panhandling or a homeless right in our our town? And it's like, oh, when I think about that, I kind of just wish like they weren't here. And that's terrible to say, but I think it's what a lot of people are thinking, right? Consciously (laughs) or unconsciously. And just like you said, oh, I can feel good about helping these African children get water. I can feel good about
1: it's. It's like when it's like when someone says, and and I know this will offend someone, but I'm too far down the thought path to take it. It's like when someone says, "I'm going to send my thoughts and prayers." Really, that's the least you could do. Literally, I mean, why don't you find something that actually t- has some benefit. I mean, I'm outside of Boulder, Colorado. Someone literally said to me, we're going to go do this dance to try and change, you know, save the world. I went, really? You think 20 of you dancing in front of city hall or whatever it is, is going to change the world? Really? Why don't you do something that's actually going to have an effect? Go somewhere, help somebody. I mean, if you really are committed to helping, do something that demonstrably provides help, not metaphysically, psychically provides help. Right.
0: And, and also the, the tearing down versus building up. I think you, you, you mm, uh, yeah. and your wife seem to be super on that path. So so many of the great businesses, like the last book I wrote is called The Firebox Principle, and it's about the origin stories of businesses, why I'm so interested in you. Um, but so many of them that have done well, instead of trying to tear down a system, right? Bucky Fuller said, don't try to destroy the system. Instead, right. create an alternative, create a, a, a better Way to do it, and yeah. you certainly are doing that. You're not trying to get rid of uh, bad shoes. You're trying to, in a way, you're trying to create. Look at you! You're creating yeah.
1: the alternative no, no, no you, you, this well, is what you want to do instead. No, you're you're totally right. We are trying to provide an, an alternative, and and we frankly look. I don't want Nike and Adidas and all those companies to go out of business. I want them to wake up and do the right thing. And I don't care if I'm the guy who, and Lena and I are the people who usher in this whole new era of uh, natural movement. That's what we're trying to do. If we have to do it, we're going to do it. But it would be much better if the other companies woke up and, and look, they know that this is best. I mean, we've heard them say it. They know this is the right thing to do. They also know that if they tried to do it right now, it would be admitting that what they've been doing for 50 years is a lie.
0: It's a, slow, so, it's a slow watch. You, you're familiar with Dyson, I'm assuming, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, sure. So his James Dyson's mm-hmm. story is very similar in a lot of ways to you. Mm-hmm. He's the one who instigated a brand new uh, uh, motor process and the bagless vacuum because he said, dude, you, we don't need these disposable bags. You're ripping people right, off. Right. But the entire industry was set a certain way for years. So we had to go outside to all different places. And eventually, eventually, now they go, well, you go to Target. Everyone has a cyclone motor because- right. You know, it it just what's right is right, and I believe what you're doing yeah. is certainly right. Tell it me real quick, so about uh, as we come, we're kind of winding down our time together. I know you got to get run into your next appointment. Uh, tell me about the Shark Tank experience. Uh, mm. Uh, mm. The, the first thing I love because there's a lot you could tell me about I don't want to hear the regular story I want to hear the things I really actually want to know <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's all about you Matt.
0: so exactly so number one number one um, I know you need to go into a place like that with the script in mind with the rehearsal of some kind well, that's what people probably well, do how did you um, guys go in scripted versus off the
1: top? Mm, yeah so the only thing that's scripted is that first little chunk where you introduce yourself you Correct. work with their producers to do that you know 30 to 60 or 90 second script. Now we thought we were going to get through it from start to finish. Cause we had rehearsed it a million times and we were told that's what was going to happen. But we got like one sentence in and Robert interrupts us. It was like, Oh, this is not going to go down the way we thought. So the gist is when you see the show, it looks like a conversation in reality. It is like, I don't even know how to describe it. So one of the sharks asks you five questions and while you're answering number three, the other, next one asks you 10 questions and if you switch to the second shark, the first one gets mad and if you don't, the second one gets mad and then a third one jumps in. It's a free for all.
0: And then they interrupt and answer the question for you, not the right way.
1: Yeah, or they're not even paying any attention. So when I, uh, when I said the line, um, yeah, I became one of the fastest men in America. You might be looking at the fastest Jew in the world. It got nothing. And then Cuban goes, wait a minute, what'd you just say? And then I repeated it and he laughed but no one else was paying attention they were making notes and things and I realized oh this is not a place to try and be funny Uh, because if not everyone's listening or in the wrong mindset you know I'll do a joke they'll cut to the sharks going what and then they cut back to me going gulp. so uh, Barbara in fact I think the technical term is hated me with a passion because I looked like her ex-husband and on the show you hear her say that in reality she went on for like 10 minutes about how much she hated me because I looked like her ex-husband and what's wrong with Lena that she's involved with me and I mean it was it was ridiculous. Now, the appropriate response, if I was just with Barbara one on one and she said, "Oh, you know, you remind me of my ex husband," I would have said, "Oh, you mean the guy who gave you the money that you used to start the business that you exited for sixty million dollars? I'm cool with that." <laughs> but that's not the answer. Mike,
0: Rob, Barbara, totally. are you out there hearing that? <laughs> our pretty close to the charts together. Uh, I'm sure you're listening. <laughs>
1: That is amazing. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, and Damon had. You should Damon, have made
0: an offer. You should have made an offer. You could have done it again. We,
1: we, you know, she was the one we went in hoping to make a deal with because at the time she was the one who was retired and was working with the company she invested in, and she is a brilliant marketer. Um, I adore that woman. So that's what we hoped, but. Uh, yeah, it started off on the wrong face apparently. So so that 's
0: was a certain plan and you were already yeah. doing well. You had done what was it, about we five and a half good. million in sales no, or how no, much no. was it at the time? It was before that. Uh, we had done 500
1: grand or I think maybe 600 and something thousand over the couple of years before that we were going to be doing six hundred and seven hundred that year we thought. Um, what we walked in with, we didn't have a script, but we knew two things. We knew what we were asking and what we were offering, and we knew what we were willing to settle for. So we knew our yes and our no. We knew why we were coming in with the numbers we were coming in with. We could justify them completely, and we knew where we were willing to be negotiated down to. We didn't get anywhere close to that. The other thing is that we just knew every question that they always ask, and we had answers for all of those. What's your cost of goods? We knew it off the top of our head. What's your margin? We knew it off the top of your head. What's the, I mean, all the simple things. I talk to people who go, oh, I'd love to be on the show. And I ask them the top five questions that are always asked, and they just don't give me a straight answer. It's like, you said you watched the show. You should know the straight answer to this. Why are you going to be successful? I'm passionate. No, 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 no. That's Everybody's the one they
0: passionate. rip into every single time. Right, exactly. You're going to be the comic relief. You're going to be the guy that right. goes on uh, American Idol and. and right. Uh, it's comic.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, the line is um, that one out of every four people on the show are the the Christian sent to the, uh, the yeah Christian sent to the Lions. Um, and so when you're in the van going to tape, you know, there's usually you and three other people. And if you can't figure out who the Christian is in that case, then you are. So. Um, <laughs> So that's uh, we, so we identify.
0: So you have preparation. You 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 identify oh, the times. answers as much as possible for all the common questions.
1: There's right. one other thing, we we and this is a personal thing that's part of my life and Lena's life as well. Is I'm impossible to insult because there's nothing you can say to me that I haven't either thought myself or thought way worse than what you just said. So. Uh, because I can't, uh, I can't disagree with any criticism you would give me, even if it's just being metaphoric, I'm impossible to insult. And that's a big part too, because their job is to try and insult you and have you get all riled up. So when, when, when uh, uh, Kevin says, you know, you're insane, I go, maybe, I mean, all entrepreneurs are in certain ways, So I know what you're talking about, but we're hoping that, that we can be insane and still make a lot of money for everybody. So there's nothing you could say. And I've worked with people who are going to be on the show and I, I I literally work with them to get to the point where they can just say, uh, yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. And, and do that in an authentic way. Uh, when Lena says to me, you know, you're, you're being condescending, annoying. Oh my gosh, you're totally right. Um, my apologies. I was really just nervous that we weren't going to get something done in the time we were getting to be done. And I was trying to cut you off so I could speed the process up my apologies.
0: Right. And what, and what a different reaction than just feeling flustered or you see some people that are clearly triggered. They're feeling judged. They're now, they're feeling emotional. Now they're like, Hey, how dare, it's like, look, you're not going to invest money in me if I'm busy attacking you.
1: (laughs) No. And here's another one that's related to that. I just remembered. Um, You have to remember that they're not your friends. You don't know them. They don't know you. When you watch them on TV, it builds this false sense of familiarity. And when you have that, you're going to say or do something as if they are your friends. And because they are not, you're going to be revealing something you don't want to reveal or doing something that's inappropriate. So, you know, if you want to get, you want to get kicked out of the tank immediately, you refer to Mark Cuban as cubes and, you know, it's over. So, um, yeah, his How friends... Yeah, because yeah. I've
0: watched him for how many seasons? Like, I feel like I know him, right? Just like exactly. my favorite you,
1: television show. You walk out onto the set and it's like, hey, there's Mark and there's Damon and there's Barbara and there's, you know, I mean, it's, it all seems very familiar in a way. The cameras are all hidden. You can't, you don't feel like you're on TV. You're strangely far away from them because that's the way they have to set it up. But other than that, it feels weirdly familiar and you've got to just nip that in the bud um, because they don't know you and you are not their friend.
0: Now, can I ask you too, uh, when you, and I know we got to go in a second, but this is so good. You, you turned down the offer, obviously. And I know earlier you said you two had decided exactly what your hard pass was and what your yes was and what you're willing to negotiate. So when they came to the best offer was it's 400 grand for Mr. Wonderful for what was the percentage or what was
1: the, (laughs) you you wanted half the company,
0: you wanted half the company 400 grand now for where you were doing 600 or whatever it was. um,
1: Well, it's a good amount of money, but it's a stupid deal. It's so stupid. who cares about the money? So what I mean, a lot of
0: people do is well, they they want they want it because hey, it's the money, and it'll help, but also it's the connections and it's having okay. the shark on board right. and so forth. What was your take on that? And
1: the <laughs> yeah, value and yeah. So I love my wife; she's so smart. Um, so there's a lot of things that happen on the show that you don't see. You're in the tank for longer than they air the segment they air, so it gets edited. Now I don't know if what I'm going to say is true. It's what I remember. Lena doesn't remember this. I'm going to assume that I'm right in this case. Cause what the hell? She's not here. I so, can't wait. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so we had forgotten. Yikes. Uh, we had even forgotten that, um, that he had made an offer and then Robert reminded us, it's like there's an offer on the table and we're like, what? Oh, 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 that. Oh yeah. That's not going to happen. So Lena says to him, so you bring me anything to this offer other than money. And he says, well, you know, I'm a smart businessman and I got a big Rolodex and Lena says, so nothing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So you so, have a big, uh, Rolodex. Great.
1: <laughs> I can see it from here. I don't know how you can walk with that thing. So the, so, you know, had we gotten, had we gotten multiple sharks involved, the idea uh, of taking advantage of all their connections would have been valuable, but, um, just one. And, and for such a bad deal, it just did not make any sense at all. And after the fact, uh, retrospectively, even that is not necessarily a great idea. We're in a private Facebook group for people who've been on the show where we can all talk without violating our non-disclosure agreement. And the number of people who've made deals where it just has not gone well for various reasons is not insignificant. And so the fact that someone has connections, that doesn't mean that it's going to turn into a deal for you. I mean, it's, you know, no guarantees. No. So from my perspective, you make a good deal first and then everything else is after that. Because look, you don't want to go into something, um, with a massive power amount, like the Kevin is really bombastic and uh, loud and people think obnoxious. I think the exact opposite. Uh, I, when you read his autobiography and we've read, we read the autobiographies of every one of the sharks. When you read Kevin's what you learn and if he hears this, I hope he something, I hope he responds in some way. Um, you read his and what you realize is this guy is loyal to a fault and generous beyond all human comprehension this guy if he believes in you he will support you like no one you have ever met before and i think because he knows that he wants to make sure that you're worthy of that and you've got to climb over the bar and man it is a low bar about being insulted if being insulted is enough to get you all riled up He is not going to spend time with you because as anyone in business knows, sometimes there's a combination of feces and fan and uh, there's an interaction where the two of them have a splattering event. And even in the best of all possible relationships, things get messy. And if you can't handle that with some degree of elegance, you're screwed. Um, Lena and I haven't had a fight fight in about four and a half years, maybe the last one, when she was accusing me of being condescending and obnoxious was last week. It took an hour till we were done with that. And, and all it took was, you know, an hour of not talking to each other and then me going in and going, yeah, you're totally right. You're right. (laughs) That's usually I present as well. Well, and I think what I actually said is since we're not going to be able to agree on our perception of what the other person was doing, how do we get past this? That was because I didn't, I didn't have an answer for how to get past it. I thought what I was a being a question since
0: we're what? not going to be able to agree on our perceptions because we're unique individuals. How do we get past this? Let's find yeah. a better
1: way. Cause I didn't, I didn't know how, I mean, we were arguing, I thought she was being one way. She thought I was being a certain way. We were disagreeing about how that was. There's no way to resolve that. So what do we do instead? And you know, it took two seconds after that question for us to figure out the answer.
0: I know we're just about out of time. We got to get you yeah. on the road, sir. Yeah. Uh, Stephen, thank you so much for coming on, brother. The company Thanks, Zero Shoes, again, it's X E R O. So you can find them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all over the place. Zero Shoes. The website is zero shoes.com. And we have a, a special link. It's zero shoes.com slash win 100. Is that uh, it's a contest yeah, you Yeah, you,
1: you can register to win $100 gift certificate.
0: Uh, that's pretty cool. So you can write so yeah. zero com slash win 100 numbers, one zero zero. You can register to $100 gift certificate and use that towards your first pair of natural or
1: fifth or sixth or seventh, you know, or 100th.
0: I, mean. I don't care what it is. Yeah. Um, this is amazing. You guys are on track and crushing it. When you went on shark tank, you were making hundreds of thousands. Now your sales are well, well into the millions. So super proud of you. Uh, Thank you. uh very excited. Uh, you got a big fan in your corner. I'm, uh, I'm just, Man, I'm cheering you on all the way because you are changing an industry and you got a massive cool heart. Final question real quick before I let you go. If you could change anything of your entire journey as Zero Shoes, what would you change? Or would you leave it all the same?
1: I can, I never come up with an answer to questions like that. Cause I don't have the idea, you know, every moment that we were, that we had, we were doing the best we could with the resources that we had. So I can't imagine doing it differently and everything else would just, you know, be too crazy to try and speculate. So we are always doing the best we can and just keep moving forward.
0: Great answer, sir. Thank you so much, Steve. I sure appreciate it, man. Great to connect with you. Pleasure. All right, guys, that's the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Remember, check out Zero Shoes, Stephen uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all of it at Zero Shoes. It's X-E-R-O, Zero Shoes. Amazing, amazing company. I can't wait to get my first pairs. ZeroShoes.com slash win100. Make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. Rate and review the podcast. You're loving it. I'm going to have more guests like this on. You need to keep listening and tell your friends. Thanks so much for tuning in. As usual, get out there and crush it.